0: Well, good morning. Thank you so much, Steve, and thank you so much to Josh and the team for leading us in worship so well this morning. We're really, really grateful. Uh, I'm going to get you to participate in a little exercise if you would this morning. If you're watching on home, you can play along as well. Um, I'm going to get you to close your eyes here in a second. So, why don't you just close your eyes, and I want you to picture the face of Jesus. So, close your eyes. Take a big breath in, big breath out, and just I want you to picture the face of Jesus. Jesus was a Jewish man, lived in the Middle East, so picture dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. But I want you to think of his face, and if someone was to ask you what's one word to communicate what you see in his face, what would that one word be? Take a look at his face. What would be the one word that you would use to describe it? Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, maybe when you closed your eyes and pictured the face of Jesus, you were taken back to some painting or some picture that you had seen as you were growing up in church, maybe on the wall of a Sunday school classroom. Uh, maybe you can think of a, maybe a painting or some artwork that was in your home or a picture Bible that you had as a kid that had pictures of Jesus in it. And maybe that is what you pictured. And maybe for some of you, you pictured Jesus as being, well, dour, determined, stern. Maybe you pictured him just kind of, there was no expression. His face was just kind of plain or, or neutral. Maybe uh, today you pictured Jesus and he was kind of distant or he looked a little bit like he was upset with you. Here's the question I want you to think about today. Did anybody when you pictured the picture of Jesus or the face of Jesus see overwhelming joy? Overflowing joy. Delight, contentedness, overwhelming thankfulness. Well, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and we're talking about the theme of joy. And maybe it's hard for us to imagine how Jesus could have any joy with the mess that our world is in, with the brokenness and suffering of people's lives, and the sin that we see so evident anywhere. But this is the Sunday where we talk about joy. And I think you and I would all agree that as Christians, as people who are following Jesus, we know that we should be growing in our sense of joy in our own life. There should be this ever-increasing amount of joy as the longer that we follow Jesus. But the question I often wonder is, do we really think of God as joyful himself? That when you picture the face of Jesus, is one of the words that comes to mind is that he was filled with joy. Well, I want to stretch our thinking in that direction today. If that does not come naturally to you, and you've got some, maybe some competing images in your mind or your imagination, and I don't want you just to take my word for it either. I'm going to take a minute and walk through Luke's gospel. I don't expect you to follow along. Uh, all the verses will be on the screen if they're helpful to you, and I can maybe send them to you later if you're uber, uber keen. Um, but what I want us to think about is here the common theme of joy throughout the gospel that describes Jesus. So let's start with the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. I'm going to read these verses for you. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she encountered Zachariah's home, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she explained, Blessed are you among women, and blessed or happy is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her, Will be accomplished. So Jesus, before he's even born, is causing people to leap for joy. Let's keep going in the Christmas story here. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. If you've grown up in church, you'll know these verses. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. And they're thinking if God knocks on the door and shows up, you better be afraid. Because clearly you've done something wrong. This was their mind. This was their view of God. But listen to what happens. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Evangelion, evangelion. I bring you good news of great joy. The word that Luke uses here is the word that the Roman Empire would use when they had a big, good news announcement to make. Halt the presses, Let everybody know. Put it out on Twitter and Facebook. It's a new empire or a new emperor in Rome is here. Good news. This was the word that Luke uses. And this news, he says, brings great joy. It's this theme again. Luke chapter 4, Jesus was reading the scriptures kind of announcing the start of his ministry, the formal kickoff. And he chose a passage that talked about good news. That what he has come to do was to bring good news to people, to bring joy to people. That the season of mourning and despair are over and they're going to give way to joy and to praise. And as you read through the gospels and see Jesus bringing people their sight, healing them of leprosy, casting out demons, bringing them back into the family after feeling lost. The overwhelming response of people is joy. That when they have an encounter with Jesus, it leads them to joy. Let's keep going, because I know some of you are thinking, no, God is the angry principal roaming the halls looking for the kids who, you know, who are skipping class like Nylon did when he was in middle school. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 21, Jesus sends his disciples, he's been training them and preparing them, and he sends them out to go do what he's been training them to do without going with them. They're on their own, and they come back, and they have stories to tell. And four times in those verses, the word joy appears. They are so joyful at what they got to experience. And it said that Jesus overflowed with joy. Because his kids who he, he, he prepared went out and did what he'd asked them to do. And they came back and they were joyful. And he was joyful. And he was joyful because he knew this can be their experience from here on in. Not just a one-off moment. Luke chapter 15, some of you would know the three parables um, that Jesus tells to communicate what happens in the heart of God when lost people are found. And in verses 1 to 7, he tells the story of a lost sheep and the shepherd going looking for the lost sheep. And when he finds it, he throws it over his shoulder and he brings it back and there's overwhelming joy. Joy breaking forth because the lost have been found. And Luke's gospel ends in verse chapter 24. Jesus is ascending into heaven and it said the disciples went back to Jerusalem filled with, can you guess, with joy. Luke's gospel starts with joy. It's peppered with stories of joy all throughout and it ends with joy. And here's what I want to suggest to you today. That God is the most joyful being in the universe. That God is the most joyful being in the universe, and when we see Him in Christ, we experience the same joy. Do you believe that? That God is joyful. That if you were to imagine an angel shows up, you're at home today. You go home. You have lunch. You're in the kitchen cleaning up, and an angel appears there. That there would have good news for you. Great joy news that if Jesus knocks on the front door of your house tomorrow and you open it and he's standing there, then on his face would be joy because he would be so happy to see you. Let me keep pushing us in this direction and read a passage of Scripture that oftentimes we don't think about a whole lot, especially maybe if you grew up in a tradition where Jesus was kind of always mad at you. This is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 19. The context is, Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples how he's different than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was his cousin. We read about earlier. And when John the Baptist was preaching, he was hellfire, brimstone. He was very eccentric. He did not really fit in anywhere and Jesus was so radically different in his personality from John. And Jesus writes or says this to the disciples when he's trying to explain to them. He says, "The son of man or him he himself came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." Is this how you introduce Jesus to people? When they ask you what your savior is like? Well, some call him a drunkard and a glutton. <laughs> And this is not Jesus, you know, in any way saying he's stress eating or misusing alcohol. He's trying to capture the essence of who he is. That he is a God of joy. That if there was a party going on, John the Baptist would be standing outside of the parter with his arms crossed, his brow furrowed, and just judging everybody and being mad at everybody that's there. Jesus would be inside with the party. This is his heart. The God is the most joyful being in the universe. Also, in the Gospels, you will see Jesus again and again spending time with children and enjoying it. And you know this about kids they can smell and detect grumpy people and they don't like them. You know that, don't you? That's why some of you, no, we'll leave that. <laughs> Finally, in the book of Hebrews, where the author is trying to capture the essence and the wonder of Jesus to these Jewish people by using all these Old Testament imagery and symbolism. And in the first chapter has this glorious introduction to Christ and he talks about Christ as the author he calls Jesus as our king his throne will last forever his rule he will rule with justice he loves righteousness he hates wickedness and then he ends the description of Jesus this way that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. Meaning that when you looked at him, what you saw was the anointing of joy on the person of Jesus, the person that we worship, the person that is here with us today, the person that is living in our hearts. Why Why am I pushing on this again and again? Two reasons. Number one, as disciples... Part of our job is to continue to grow in our understanding in the character of God and understand what God is truly like. That we all maybe grew up in a tradition or in a home or in a church which gave us a certain perspective of God, maybe your own personality lends to seeing God in a certain light, but we should grow past that. And have, as we read the scriptures as the source that vets and helps us sharpen and clarify how it is that we see God, as we grow in our faith, that one of the things we would see about God is that He is more joyful than we ever imagined. This is the work of discipleship. Second, we live in an angry world. We live in such an angry world. People are divided. They're pitted against each other. There's so much grouchiness and nastiness and complain. There's just so little joy in our world. And the good news of Advent is that when Jesus shows up, he brings joy to people. He brings joy to people in ways that nothing else can. And I think about just this even practically that tomorrow morning when you wake up and go to spend a few moments in prayer, you get to spend time with the most joyful person in the universe. And they're welcoming you in to come and to spend time with them in that moment. And for Jesus... Being joyful wasn't just kind of putting on a smiley face while everything else falls apart. It wasn't kind of fake it till you make it uh, joyful optimism. Jesus was able to have joy even in the midst of suffering. For him, they could be roommates. They could coexist at the same time. They were not mutually exclusive. You could have deep joy and you could also have deep pain. Jesus wept when people died. He was angry when religious systems took advantage of people. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we saw him to the point of exhaustion from stress and from anxiety. He lived with both. But we remember in Christ there's going to come a day when the suffering will go and only joy will remain. That suffering is temporary, pain is temporary, but joy is eternal. And that is a great hope. So how do we enter into this joy? How do we enter into this, this gift that God is making, makes to each one of us? And it's the same way that we enter into all the gifts of Christ. Christ invites us to repent and to believe. This is the invitation. This is the gateway to, that we get to repent and to believe. And it's in, in this that we find our joy. Too often we think, I will find joy by looking for joy. I will find happiness by looking for happiness. You know, if you're a, a child of my generation, you'll remember the great band of our middle school days, The Pursuit of Happiness. Anybody? There was only one person at the first service. Thank you, Ramona. The Pursuit of Happiness. There was a great movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. It's part of the U.S. Constitution that everybody is, has the right to the pursuit of happiness. The problem is you can't pursue happiness. Joy and happiness are the fruit of finding something else, or in our case as Christians, someone else. You do not find joy by looking for joy. Joy takes up residence in something else. Meaning for you and I as Christians, we find our joy as the result of finding Christ. And we find Christ as we repent and as we believe. Now repentance is a military term. It literally means to turn around and go in a new direction. It literally means to rethink. You were thinking this way about life and about yourself and about God and the world. You now need to think this way about yourself and God and the world. And so as we repent, when we think about the character of God, it means we must rethink how we really view of God. Maybe you have a view of God that actually is not true. You have a vision of what he's like and it's not based on the scriptures. It's maybe based on something somebody told you or just what you assumed to be true. Read the Advent story. As you go through it again and again, every time Jesus shows up, people are confused because they didn't think he was going to do it this way. They didn't think this was what he was like. They had a preconceived idea about what God was like and God did not fit into it. And the same is true of all of us. So as we repent, we repent of old ways, small ways of thinking about Jesus that aren't really based in the truth of Scripture. And as we come into the Advent season, our eyes are opened to the beauty of Christ and we realize he's bigger and he's greater than we thought he was. We also need to repent of where it is that we've been trying to find joy that will never give us joy. We've been looking for joy in places that were never meant to give us joy. And so we repent and confess that we are... This is not going to work. This is not how Christ has designed it. Our culture is obsessed with this idea that if I can find pleasure, I will have joy. Jesus gives us great joy. And this is the wonder of Advent, a season that we're so familiar with. That we come and we discover again that Jesus is greater than we thought. And even with all the familiarity of this season, how many sermons have you heard about joy? Well, how much joy do you have? It's one thing to hear about it. It's another thing to be able to quote a scripture about it. It's another thing to wake up in the morning and to experience the joy of Christ in your heart, which is what Advent comes to offer us. And after we repent, we believe. After we agree, look, God, I need to change my way of thinking about you. I need to expand my way of thinking about you. I need to stop trying to find joy in these things. Then it is I step into Christ and I lean into him with the full weight of my life. And I say, Jesus, I'm going to really trust you for this. This is what you've promised. I'm betting my life that you are going to come through for me. There's a great quote from St. Ignatius of Loyola. And he writes this. Sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. And maybe even today you're not convinced that God wants you to have joy. That would be heartbreaking for me to hear. God wants you to have his joy. Until I'm absolutely convinced of this, he writes, I will do everything I can to keep my hands on the controls of my life. Because I think I know better than God what I need for fulfillment. This is the battle of every human heart. Do I really trust God with my joy? Do I really believe that if I give my life to Him and surrender to Him, that He will give me a joy greater than I've been looking for in sex or pleasure or success or money or ease or good times? Do I really believe that Christ will give me a joy greater than all of the things that I've been trying to find joy in? Because if you believe that God is holding out on you, you will never follow him. You'll go through the motions, but you will never fully trust him with your life. Until you believe, my true joy can only be found in a relationship with the most joyful being in the universe. Which is what this table represents. The communion table, the Lord's table, the invitation that Jesus extends to you and I to meet with him around this table is an invitation to repent, it's an invitation to believe, and it's an invitation to find joy. Think about this. When Jesus invited us to this moment, he could have picked any symbol, any metaphor, to capture what he wants to have for us and with us. He could have picked a study table with a Bible and let's get in here and get studying, and there's going to be a test at the end. He could have picked a servant's towel and said, Come on, let's go do something. We're going to go work, 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 work. He creates, he invites us to a table where there's bread, where there's wine. Because he wants to sit with us. He wants to meet with us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to enjoy this moment with us and for his joy to be ours. Somewhat fitting for the most joyful person in the universe. This is what God wants your life to have at the center. Is a relationship with him. And so today as we come to the Lord's table... I pray that in this season, maybe there's some repenting that needs to happen in your heart. Some ways of thinking about God that maybe you need to leave behind. Some chasing after things. If I get this, I'll have true joy that you need to leave behind. And an invitation to trust Him in a way that maybe you've never trusted Him before. And maybe that would mean for you today that for the very first time you would ask Christ to truly be the Lord of your life. Lord, I want in on this life that you're inviting me into. I want to be a part of it. I pray that you would be my Lord. I pray that you would become the the leader of my life. I leave behind my old ways. I leave behind my old things I'm chasing after. And today, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. And maybe if you're watching online or if you're here in the room today, that would be something you would pray as we gather around this table for the very first time, you would have clarity in your own heart and joy in your own heart because you know that you belong to Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have invited us to be in relationship with you that you're not holding anything back the joy that is yours is available to us today. Lord, we admit that even as we study the scriptures and come to familiar stories like these Christmas stories that there's more for us to learn. We pray that we would be humble and open-handed that we would come to you in this season, God, asking for that you would show us more of yourself. And that we would grow in our love for you as we discover the depth and the beauty of Christ. And today we just, we admit there have been things in our life that we've been chasing after. That we thought if we could only have them, then we'd be happy. Lord, today help us to hear your invitation to come and to sit at this table with you. To abide with you, to experience the forgiveness and peace, and to know when we leave here today from this place, we have the most joyful person in the universe walking with us. We pray together now, Lord, that as we come to this table, that our hearts would be open for you to speak to us, that this would be a rich moment where we experience your presence, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen.